Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monorail Radio, episode number 170. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And we are here to discuss 1998's I'll Be Home for Christmas. All of the 90s goodness. There is so much. I mean, this movie should just be called The 90s. Welcome to Christmas. That's what it should be called. There is so much. The, the 90s ooze out of this film. It oozes out of this film. Did you watch this as a kid? Was this something that you saw when it first came out? I feel like I have seen part of it because some of it was familiar, but I had never seen the whole thing. Same. I think I had like caught bits and pieces of it like when the movie would air on like the 25 days of Christmas on the family channel. Right. But I never sat down to sit and watch it. And I think a part of that is because I've mentioned on the show before that when I was a kid, I loved home improvement. I was not a big fan of Jonathan Taylor Thomas because I just did not like his character on home improvement. And when he left the show in its last season, that kind of pissed me off even as like a 12 year old. So I think that by default, I was just biased against this film because I was just not the biggest fan of JTT. Right. So it kind of makes sense that it, it kind of passed you by for me. Same thing though. I mean, we watched home improvement, but I, I admittedly do not love home improvement as much as you do. I mean, oh, yeah. you, you're obsessed with home improvement. I always enjoyed it, but like I was never one of the, like I never had the JTT crush. The frosted tips just didn't do it for me. I was all about Ryder Strong on Boy Meets World. So it wasn't like it. this was at the top of my watch list, but I did watch Seventh Heaven quite a bit. And then same thing, Jessica Biel was trying to like separate herself from the child actor yeah. stigma yeah, yeah, yeah. or a, a, she felt it was a stigma and then she like posed on the cover of maxim um so i was kind of like over her not that i was ever like a really big fan but i didn't feel the need to support this so we didn't you, not a lot of love for the cast right i mean i jessica beale to me like i think i watched seventh heaven like three or four times i, I mean i had no I had no bias against her, but yeah. So for you, it was it was Jessica Biel. For me, it was Jonathan Taylor Thomas. So now here I sit in my mid-30s getting ready <laughs> to discuss I'll Be Home for Christmas for the first time ever. I mean, really, this is why we do this show. Yeah. This review is sponsored by the Hidden Mickey Supply Co. Products include Disney and Pixar-inspired 3D straw charms. Listeners of Monoreal Radio can get a 10% discount with the code MONOREAL10 at checkout. Visit Instagram or Etsy, search for Hidden Mickey Supply Co., and shop for all of your straw charm needs. Jake Wilkinson is a teenager from New York who is attending a boarding school in California. A spoiled brat and a slick businessman, Jake trades his airline ticket back to New York for two tickets to Cabo San Lucas to surprise his girlfriend friend Allie for Christmas, but the plan blows up in his face as all she wants to do is go home to New York for Christmas. After his father tells Jake that he can have the family Porsche if he comes home to see his family, including his new stepmom, Carolyn, Jake tells Allie that they will go back together, though he never exposes 
his bribe because Jake really doesn't want to go back because his father remarried 10 months after his mother passed away and he took that very personally. Jake's rival, Eddie, sabotages Jake's last business deal before the holidays, which would have ensured a group of athletes perfect marks on their history final. When the boys flunk their final, they, along with Eddie, beat up Jake and leave him stranded in the desert dressed as Santa Claus with the hat, the hair, and the beard all glued to his face. Allie, believing Jake has ditched her instead of going home to New York, decides to ride back home with Eddie. Jake makes up a series of lies and scams to help him start his cross-country trip home because he has no money and his father is not willing to send him any. Along the way, Allie and Eddie stop at Edelbrook, a Bavarian-themed hotel in Iowa. Eddie kisses her under the mistletoe live on television as Jake is watching the TV, so he sets off to get her back. When Jake arrives, his bribe is exposed, so Allie leaves him and Eddie behind to finish her trip home by herself. After many failed attempts to get enough money to fly home, Jake's sister, Tracy, buys him a ticket to fly home in exchange for holding it over his head for eternity. When he can't produce an ID at the airport, he is denied his ticket, but stows away in a dog crate and flies home in the cargo bay. When he arrives home, he steals a one-horse open sleigh, takes it to Allie's house, they make amends, and then he rides over to his family's home, where he waits until 6.01 to go inside, because the deal was... For him to get the Porsche, he had to be home by 6 o'clock when dinner is served. And showing that he has changed his ways and he is less concerned about the car, he intentionally waits it out before making amends with his father and his sister and mending the fence with Carolyn. All right. Um, so th- here's what's confusing at the start of this film. The whole time as we're watching this, we think they're in college. Yes. Yep. Okay. So, because I think it's called a university. I think they give you, I think it was Palisades University or something to, to something to that effect. I don't think they ever say it, but they put the lower third up. Right. And so, one of the characters is stuffed in a locker. The kids are going to lockers and I'm like... I've I, listen. I went to college. I don't ever remember there being lockers outside of like the gym in your college. Get out of my head, man. That was literally my first note. Um, I think the setup of this charismatic guy running the show was great, but the locker took me right out of it because I I was like, what college has lockers? And and. You know, you stuff the underclassmen in it. Right. And I was like, that's such a high school. It's a trope of all things. Yeah. So it did feel a little disjointed. But as soon as you were reading the plot, that was the first time boarding school occurred to me. And I was like, okay, now this makes a lot more sense. It also serves the story better because in college, you know, you're off on your own. You're adulting, right? It makes Jake wanting the Porsche so much more believable because now you're talking about a high school age boy and his first car. So it definitely serves it better as a boarding school. And I kind of, I really like the introduction 
of Jake here. I like that he kind of has this Van Wilder thing going, even though this came out before Van Wilder did. Oh, great comparison, yeah. But the character is very, very similar. Absolutely. And I think that Jonathan Taylor Thomas does a really good job because for all of the reasons I disliked him in Home Improvement, it's all the same reasons why I like him in this role. Well, you have to, right? Because he's going to tell so many lies and twist so many things to his advantage in this story. You have to set him up as a likable guy. And he's so witty. He's got a one-liner for everything. And, you know, when you start to see, not to get too far ahead, but when you start to see his relationship with his girlfriend you would think that she's going to be pissed off at him all the time because life's a joke to him. Right. But he's so endearing, even though he tries to laugh everything off, he always puts her in a better mood. He always makes the situation better, not worse by making light of it. Right. And you kind of, like, you get that right away. The move, the pacing of this film throughout is is really good, can I just say. It's great. Um... And I like that they don't waste a lot of time. They get you right into, he's got the underclassman, his buddy who he takes out of the locker. I love that he says, hop onto the net. Like, any time <laughs> I hear somebody refer to the internet as the net, it takes me back to being in, like, fifth and sixth grade and when the Islanders were really bad, but I didn't care because I had Stone Cold Steve Austin and, like, life was good in the, in the mid to late 90s. I, ju- I love hearing that. And and that's that's just like a me thing. So thanks for taking that journey with me. <laughs> um, but this whole Cabo San Lucas thing, it's like for us, somebody tells you, hey, I surprised you with a trip to Cabo San Lucas. Like, that sounds fantastic. Christmas on the beach. Yes. What this does really well, I think, is it not only fleshes out Jake as a character, but you really get a feel for this opposites attract because you have him who's trying to do it. And he tells his father, I want to spend Christmas on a, on the beach with a beautiful girl. And then you have Allie, who most girls at the age of 18 or if they're college age or, you know, in this case, they're in high school. You figure like they would love to go spe- like escape the winter and go to the beach. Right. Like. And like like it idea... just seems it seems like such like a romantic gesture that your boyfriend at the age of 18 would do this for you. That's exactly what I was going to say is just the idea of being wooed like that. Who's not going to go along with it? Yeah, he gets you a three condo bedroom on the beach and all she wants to do is go home. So it, what it does is it immediately introduces you to this character who we haven't met, uh, you know, for more than a few moments, really. But you know everything about her. From the moment she comes on the screen. Right. And it also does a really good job with the exposition of we know why he doesn't want to go home. It's not just about having Christmas on the beach with her. It's because his dad remarried 10 months after his father was widowed. Yeah. Which at the time, you know, when you're a kid, I think you're looking at this as innocent. Maybe not from Jake's point of view, but I think if you're a kid watching this, you know, the worst thing about it is how could you replace mom so quickly? But like when you think about that now and watching this with an older set of eyes, I'm like 10 months is really quick. Like was she in the picture before you lost your wife? 
Yeah, and you don't, you never know what happened to Jake's mom. You just know that she's gone. It's a Disney movie. We're going to bump one off. <laughs> we just know that she's gone. But I love that this is the undertone that carries throughout the entire film because I think Jake, you, you have to make him likable. I think how savvy and smarmy he is. He's likable, but in a way that you laugh at him when he gets what's coming to him. You had to make him a little bit more endearing. I think that going with this storyline works. I think it makes a lot of sense. Because otherwise, you're just rooting for somebody for what reason? So they can go hang out on the beach for their entire Christmas break and abandon the family. I think this was a really smart way to go about it. It makes him sympathetic. Yes. And the Porsche bribe is totally believable. Not just, you know, to the point I was making before that a high school age kid, of course, he's going to want this car. But it really sets up some high stakes for him having to get home and giving the dad the upper hand. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. Like, upon first viewing, dad bribing him with a Porsche seems not only completely unrealistic, but almost too desperate. It's not until you've seen it a couple of times, and this was kind of my takeaway with this particular storyline, upon the second viewing, seeing over the course of the film, the first time we watched it, how much it meant for his dad to know that Jake was coming home. It makes a lot more sense the second time around and the third time around than it does the first time. Because the first time, you're just kind of like, well, why would why would he offer him that to bring him home? That just doesn't seem to make a lot of... It seems like he's trying too hard. But I think it's it's more on later viewings that you go, no, this, this guy, this father, he just misses his son so much and he just wants it so bad that he's willing to do whatever. And it, again... It softens the dad because up to this point, all you know is he replaced mom after 10 months. So again, you've got to do something to flesh dad out. And I think it worked. See, it's so interesting, though, that you're looking at at it from that perspective. And you're saying it seems desperate because it's a great observation, but I was never looking at it like that at all. I mean, maybe this is just my jaded producer brain talking, but I was like, no, that's such a great story point because you have to give him something that's going to outweigh the girl and and what else is going to do that for a guy this age it's going to be a car and it can't just be any car it's got to be well and this is where you normally say like the uh the Cadillac right yeah no it's a Porsche this time yeah I think you're right because Allie you know for better or for worse I mean it's worse better for the purpose of the film but worse for Jake as a human being yes um you, you're right you needed something more than her because it like this is the only thing that's very strange about their relationship and but the movie actually kind of calls itself out for it Jake is so selfish and he's not going home for Allie he's going home for the car but he cares so much about Allie at the same time yet he he just doesn't always show it the right way so that's I thought that that was kind of an interesting take it does set up his character arc at the end of the movie but you for a while you sort of don't understand where these two have even gotten further than like a second date 
Right. And I think that would have helped a little bit is knowing, you know, are are they junior, senior year? Was this like the last hurrah? Was this spring break? Uh, well, no, it can't be spring break because it's Christmas. Right. But um, the timeline would have helped as far as how long they've been together because relatively they're so young. But the way that Allie speaks to Jake sometimes, you can tell that she's over it or like she knows his ways so like you get the impression of the longevity of their relationship and they do allude to it because they mention she's like you've never been home for Christmas before but it's like was that your freshman year it is before one year that you've been at this boarding school so that would have helped I I think a little bit would have gone a long way there um This is where I go back and forth about the boarding school, though, because, you know, to do a big trip to Cabo like that and the way that they're talking about like their future together when Jake says to her, oh, you said you've always wanted to wake up next to me. And like the way that Allie sort of pushes him to be the man that she wants him to be and to be reliable. It's a very adult and mature relationship. Yeah. And that's where I sometimes go back and forth with Jake's character, too, because if they were in college, I would buy that he's immature and she's trying to get him to man up. Now, it seems like he's sort of wise beyond his years because in high school, he's pulling all of this off. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, it, it does play more adult than it actually is. Right. And I'm not sure... That like that's one of those things where it's like I'm not really sure if keeping them in a in in a high school setting and having them at a prep school was necessarily the way to go. You could have just as ha- just as easily had them, you know, freshmen in college, same age, but it plays. It, it's the same movie, but it plays a little bit differently where it maybe seems like it's a little bit more age appropriate. Right. And freshman year, I would still buy that. Like, it's my first year away from home. I don't want to go back just yet. I don't yeah. want to be under my parents' roof when I've had this new taste of freedom. Like, I get that. Yeah. You're in Southern California. The weather's beautiful. I, I get it. Um, what I don't get is Eddie. Just like... Kind of in general, like I know that you need an antagonist and we're going to talk about character more in a little bit here, but Eddie from the moment that he's introduced, you kind of just can't figure out why and what but I but I mean is why does Eddie have it out for Jake? Why is Eddie from the same town as both Jake and Allie? who all coincidentally have to happen to be at this boarding school at the exact same time. Why do the jocks follow him? Because I don't believe he's on a team. And why does Allie leave with him to go home when she knows how much he's got it out for Jake? He doesn't hide the fact that Jake is his, that, that he is his rival. It's a very public feud that the two of them have. So it's just like, with him in general, my question is why? Why does any of this happen? Yeah, Eddie is so cringy. Before I go off on Eddie here, this is another area that gets 
a plus in the boarding school column because this whole time I'm watching it and I couldn't figure out, you know, if you're all from the same town, wouldn't you have the plans to drive back together? Which a lot of them do. Allie mentions, oh, you know, there's 17 people going back to the East Coast for Christmas or whatever. And I was like, why aren't you flying? Like even in college, even, you know, that you're off on your own, nine times out of 10, if you didn't have the money to go home for Christmas, your parents are getting you a plane ticket because they want you there. Much like Jake's dad. He's going right. to extremes to get his kid home. Right. Um, so that's where the boarding school definitely works is and, and why it explains why so many people are going back to the same area. Yeah, we also don't know why they're in this boarding school. Not that it matters why they're in a boarding school on the other side of the country. And it kind of just seems like they're on vacation all of the time. It's just like a super nice SoCal high school. But I I think we're also delving into something that's sort of irrelevant here. I kind of almost feel like you can write it off as rich white people. And this is where you send your kids. Yeah, probably. Which is also a 90s trope. Oh, yeah. So... Back to Eddie. Um, the reason that Allie goes with him is because in the moment she is mad at Jake. He wants the Porsche. That's why he decides to go home. He doesn't tell her that. He. This is when he tells her it's for you. Yeah. You know, like your words got to me. I'm going to go home to my family, yada, yada. And he switches the Cabo tickets back to Jersey. And he's going to fly her home. So when he doesn't show, he says, I'll pick you up at eight. And when he doesn't show that morning, she's so pissed off in the moment. She just goes because now she doesn't have a plane ticket. She doesn't have an option. So she doesn't care if it's his arch nemesis. She's going with Eddie. Here's my biggest issue with Eddie. Aside from him being just totally cringy and blatantly hitting on Allie while her boyfriend is right there and just being totally disrespectful to both of them. Um, He's not enough of the opposite of Jake because he's trying to win Allie over and his argument the entire time is what have I got or what haven't I got that Jake has? Yeah. Um, and he's just as witty. He is always trying to make her laugh. The only time he loses points with her is that he doesn't spit poetry out, which I'm sorry. I don't believe that Jake does either. Well, according to Allie, he does. I don't know. That just kind of seems like a line to get in her pants, no matter who's who's saying it, Jake or Eddie. But I feel like there's not enough of a difference between the two where there's a reason Allie would even want to consider, you know, like the grass is always greener. And and yeah. consider the option of what she doesn't have. And if she's mad at Jake, well, here's this other guy who wants to be with me. And maybe like there's just not enough of a reason to even consider him when he so obviously annoys her. Well, the difference between Eddie and Jake is that they are almost the same exact person. But Jake, in a very strange way, cares for Allie, even though he's very selfish. Eddie only cares about Eddie. And the fact that Eddie can't take any of her cues shows you that Eddie only cares about Eddie. 
Eddie is very much like a Gaston in that way where it's about the chase for him. Yeah. And that's why he's he's pursuing a girl with a boyfriend already. And uh, yeah, you can definitely tell that his feelings for her are very shallow where even though he doesn't always express himself in the most constructive way, you can tell that Jake is trying to be a better man for Allie and that is a sign of maturity. The funniest thing about this to me, though, is that in real life, Adam Lavornia, who is the actor that plays Eddie, also played Mary's boyfriend on Seventh Heaven. So I'm, they've already been together. Okay. All right. Well, that makes sense. Because in the scenes where they are together, they, they work very well. Yeah. Like, like, even though it's cringy and it's like, Allie, you're a smart girl. Why did you put yourself in this situation? It makes sense, but that would make sense now Mm -hmm. that the two of them work so well together. All right, let's talk about um, how Jake ends up as Santa Claus. So he and his buddy have this this scheme with these jocks for the history final where one of the jocks takes a copy of the final, tosses it out the window. Jake and his buddy get it. They have beepers, and they're basically getting paged they're getting the answers page to them. Um, and when the pagers go off, they're like, oh, you know, coach likes to keep in touch. And the teacher says nothing about it, which I buy because, you know, we've seen this before in movies. And a lot of it is true that athletics just carry so much weight in school that, you know, it, it, the people like Mrs. Darbus don't like it. But that's how it is. And it carries a lot of weight. So totally works. Eddie sees this is happening, busts it up. And works with these guys to come back at Jake and make him into this Santa Claus. I buy that they are just that upset with him that that's the length they're going to take it to. But again, it's like, do they know Eddie? Where does Eddie play? I mean, yeah, Eddie Eddie tips them off. Eddie's the cause for all of this. So Eddie is really setting up their failure for his gain. But it's like, why did why do people just blindly go with Eddie? That's my question. Right, because this is working. All Eddie does is disrupt the man in the chair and then rats them out. I don't even know that the jocks would have pursued anything if Eddie hadn't taken that next step and reported it. Yeah, but I love that they do this to him. I love this Santa Claus thing where they glue it all to him and they leave him stranded in the desert. With a Christmas napkin. I love that they write the note on a napkin. Yeah, this is where the movie really does take off. I mean, this is it, right? I'll be home for Christmas. He's got to find his way back. He tries to tell Allie what's happening, but for whatever reason, her answering machine is like, not accepting full messages. So he's got to leave just like words, just scattered words. I don't think that it was her answering machine. I thought he was trying to call collect. No, that was an answering machine. Really? That was an answering machine. I thought, because we used to do that, and this might be worth explaining to the the younger listeners of Monoreal Radio. So there used to be this thing where you'd call collect and if you like before cell phones, obviously, if you would call home to a landline, the person receiving the call would have to accept it and they would be charged. That's why they could accept or decline it. So what we used to do was if we needed to be picked up from school, we would call and then it would prompt you 
to say your name. So instead of saying, hey, it's Jackie, I would just be like, mom, pick me up at four. And then she could reject the call, but she would know what time to come and get me. And because he says buzzard tumbleweed, desert Santa buzzard tumbleweed, I thought that was his way of sending the call, but not actually putting it through. It's Brad. We had a baby. It's a boy. Do you yes. remember that commercial? Yes. That, that call ATT. It's Brad. They had a baby and it's a boy. Brad, we had a baby. It's a boy. And they did it in, uh, is it Big Daddy? When Adam Sandler go, it's your baby boy. Yeah. I think it was Big Daddy. Yeah. Um, now we're just really dating ourselves, pulling out a Sandler movie there. Uh, if, collect calls. Adam <laughs> Sandler is still a thing. We're talking about a, a, a television commercial from the from the mid nineties. C a l l a t t. That's why I felt the need to explain it because it, you're gonna get totally lost. No, this was definitely an answering machine. But regardless, this is where the scams, and this is where when he's scamming people on campus, and you're like, oh, I'm not supposed to like this guy. This is where the scams start working in his favor, number one, but number two, making him a very funny character because you get the Tom Tom girls. You, it, oh, my God. The group of grandmothers that are traveling to Vegas to go see Tom Jones, and he makes up this story about how his father's having a quadruple bypass on Christmas Eve and how the whole family saved up to get him the surgery as his Christmas gift, and he won't make it there before the anesthesia kicks in. And this is where JT's T sounds the most like Simba that he does throughout the whole movie because he's like super whiny. Yeah. And it's just so funny to me. Like, it's a good delivery, but like you can't not hear Simba. Yeah, because he's very whiny and he's trying to, he's fake crying and he's trying to sound pathetic. Yeah, I thought this whole thing was really funny. I think the whole thing with the Tom Tom girls was funny. And he asked them, if, do you have what's new, pussycat? Everything about this just works. And that's where the character always redeems himself because he's just told this lie, but he's like so aware. It, it's just so funny that he can level with somebody that age. Because he just knows a Tom Jones. It's it's brilliant. The whole the whole thing is brilliant. And this is where, you know, I think you can make the argument that the intended audience for this movie, or not even intended audience, the intended audience is, you know, teenagers who yeah. grew up on JTT. Exactly. I think what they tried to do here was make a planes, trains, and automobiles for tweens. This is where, even with the obvious parallels... This one sort of sets itself apart and it doesn't feel like a copy. Yeah, well, listen, I mean, you can you can sit there and find elements that are very trains, planes and automobiles. But let's not confuse anybody. This no. movie does not compare to trains, planes and automobiles. No, but I'm saying I could see this movie being pitched as planes, trains and automobiles for kids. For a 13 year old. Absolutely. They made it relevant for the age group and they made it fit the character. What I love that happens after this, too. Not only does Jake have a very close call with Allie where Eddie peels out of there, but now Jake has to keep hitchhiking. And we get introduced to Nolan, who shouldn't be funny, and he's hilarious. This character, for so many reasons, should not work. 
And at the same time, he's one of my favorite characters in this movie. Agreed. So the reason he ends up helping out Jake is because he's driving a truck full of stolen goods, as we come to learn. Yes. And he drops the tomato out of his fast food burger and takes way too long, mind you, picking it up on the, on a floor full of garbage, which is gar- like, just let it go at that it's point. It's very 90s. It is. So he almost runs Jake over and that's how he ends up helping him out. I really, th- to your point, it's very 90s. I was kind of like, really? This is weak. But he just keeps getting better and better. Yeah. And <laughs> he um, he has this line it's okay, okay. So so the characters in the movie keep calling Jake Santa Claus. Like all it's kind of like a running bit like everybody he runs into they just keep calling him Santa Claus. And Jake has told Nolan what is going on between him and Allie. They drive past Allie and Jake on the road. Eddie. Or sorry, Eddie and Jake uh, Eddie and Allie on the road and Jake points out that that's her. And (laughs) Nolan says, Mrs. Claus is letting someone else down the chimney. And then he (laughs) says something else that I don't know that I can actually repeat on the podcast. Well, here's the thing. I should be able to repeat it on the podcast because they said it in the movie, right? He calls her he calls her a two timing hoe. I and I was like fell backwards in my chair that the that the phrase two timing hoe got used in not just a Disney movie, but a Disney Christmas movie. The shock value is incredible the first time you see it. Maybe we shouldn't have said that, not so much because it's, I I hesitate to use the word profane, but we just spoiled perhaps the greatest moment in the movie. But I appreciate that they didn't shy away from it because it's sort of a play on words, yeah. kind of, that Santa says ho, 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 and now he calls the missus a ho. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny. I don't care that it's a Disney movie. I don't care that it's a Christmas movie. If Tim Allen had said this in the Santa Claus, if they had figured out a way to work that in, if Bernard said it, come on. Yeah. I wish Bernard had said it. I'll put it to you that way. So they get pulled over, and Jake talks himself out of it because he tells the police officer... Um, that they are going to deliver gifts to the children's hospital. And the cop drives them there and goes in with them. So you now knew. You, you knew. knew that you was knew. gonna happen. So now it's still th- funny. They're telling everybody that Nolan's name is Snowpuff, the elf who's <laughs> helping <right>. Santa Claus. <laughs> and the stolen goods at Red Cliff uh Children's Hospital is just beyond hysterical because they're giving away, you know, cordless vacuum cleaners, toaster ovens, nothing, power tools, yeah, nothing that a child would want. But at the same time, it was just spectacular to see how it all, it's just so funny. And it is remarkable how we are still rooting for Jake because now he's almost gotten caught in the lie. This goes beyond duping the grandmas to give him a ride He's really almost gotten busted in a bad way, but you are still rooting for him to get out of it. And at this point, I was sort of asking myself, I was like, is he like Jack Sparrow where he's improvising yet still in complete control? 
Or is this an example of somebody that is just failing upwards? Yeah, it. I couldn't tell. I, I feel like he had the making it up as he goes along and just going with whatever card gets dealt that Jack Sparrow does, um, which actually, again, is similar to Van Wilder. But I, I will point out again that this movie came out before both of those did. Um, yeah, the, the, the whole thing is funny. And then you get this really good scene with this young man named Esteban. Um, it's actually a very powerful scene mm-hmm. because... The kids are sitting in Santa's lap telling them what they want for Christmas and he's giving them the stolen goods. And you get to little Esteban and he tells him, I just want to go home. I want to go home to my family. I want to go home to my brothers, my sisters, my mom, my dad, my grandparents, my dog. Basically, I just don't want to be in this children's hospital on Christmas. It's a really good scene. First of all, the child actor is incredible. He was I mean, awesome. he sells it. Uh, but this is where you find yourself rooting for Jake the most because, you know, he does take pause at this point. His his whole thing is get home for the Porsche, but this is where he starts. And I mean, you could argue too that this is sort of like it's a wonderful life and we're trying to find the real meaning of Christmas you know amidst all of your own feelings and everything else that you're dealing with right but this is what redeems him even though he's just told a horrible lie and done not a horrible thing maybe a stupid thing um but you can tell that it's really getting to him and that he's truly thinking about how bad this kid's situation is and that things could be so much worse even though he's hitchhiking with Nolan. You well, not anymore because now Nolan's turned a new leaf and he's going home. He's not going east anymore. So instead, Officer Max is going to drive east for I think they said it was 3 or 4 hours with Jake because he's going to try and get back his wife Marjorie who left him because he spent a night out at the bar with an ex-girlfriend. Again, Disney not holding back here. They have no problems going for it. Well, no, she was only pissed off because they kissed, and he said it's the Jägermeister that kissed her, yeah. which granted... <laughs> Again, in a Disney movie. I am not condoning this behavior at all. Let's not misunderstand here. The first mistake was that you had Jägermeister. Yeah, don't drink Jägermeister. Second of all, it doesn't matter that it was only kissing and that you didn't go home with her. It, you still cheated. You're still married. You still cheated. You shouldn't even be doing that on your girlfriend, fiance, no one. But I love that Jake finds himself in this whole other... It's great screenwriting, right? Yeah. You know, the the officer is forcing himself into the situation by saying, oh, I'll drive you to the hospital. And now that he loses his ride with Nolan, okay, the officer's going to give him a ride, but there's this whole other set of problems that come with it. And this diner scene is great. I don't, I wouldn't say it's better than the scene with Nolan, but I, I love, and maybe this is a nineties trope too, that now that I'm thinking about it, I, I love any restaurant scene where somebody breaks out into a song. Like to me, my best friend's wedding where they break out into say a little prayer is like one of the best scenes 
ever. I just love it. It's so stupid. You watch it now and it's so stupid. <laughs> it is dumb. But there's just something about it when you've got all of these background characters who latch on to whatever story is unfolding in front of them. And now they're completely invested in the song. And that's what happens here. Oh, Marjorie. The look it's on brilliant. JTT's face during Oh, Marjorie is what really sells this entire thing because he is writing out what Max should be saying and Max kind of goes off the cuff and it's horrible and JTT because I'm just going to it's Jake but it's JTT can't believe what he's hearing um the look is spectacular speaking of JTT looks I forgot to mention this before when he wakes up in the desert and maybe it's just that this all is melded together in my 90s brain to me, he looks like Tim Allen in the Santa Claus when he drinks the milk. Yeah. Yeah. The he facial does. expression is is kind of the same. Um, the real brilliance of this song is that Oh Marjorie is sung to the tune of Oh Christmas Tree, which I think is public domain, so you didn't even need to pay for the rights to that music. Yeah. That's brilliant producing. It's brilliant producing and he gets Max gets Marjorie back and the whole point of having Jake there other than Jake is trying to continue his move east is because they agree Max agrees to buy Jake's bus ticket home if he can get Marjorie to make amends with him and he does so now Jake is at the bus station and this is where we get the Edelbrook scene where you have this really interesting thing that's happening between Allie and Eddie because Eddie just can't stop getting in his own way. Allie continues to give him opportunities to redeem himself. Now they've been in the car for a few days. They're starting to have a little bit of fun. And then you get this kiss under the mistletoe that she was not completely adverse to. And that's that's where things really get interesting with the two of them because this is live on television and Jake is watching this from the bus terminal. Right. So as far as Allie and Eddie go, what I appreciate is that until they get to Idlebrook, there's not really a flirtation. It's that Eddie has dropped the act, the referring to himself in the third person. The Ed man. The cheese factor. Yeah. And is allowing... I almost called her Mary, good Lord, uh, is allowing Allie to get to know the real Eddie. And she softens to him a little bit, but not in a way where she's attracted to him. It doesn't happen until they get there and she starts a snowball fight. So the flirtation sort of, I don't want to say it comes out of left field because she's been spending time with him, but it was a little out of character. And then once they kiss, I was like, girl, you got to get off your high horse because you just cheated. Nothing that Jake has ever done yeah. is that bad. And you're still making him apologize. Even though he just lied about a liver transplant, yes. which is probably his best scheme in this whole movie. But you're still rooting for him. But this is also how they get you. You're rooting for Jake because Allie just screwed up really bad. Right. And just to paint the picture, he sees this happen on television. They get on the bus. He's trying to get the bus driver to stop at Edelbrook. The bus driver won't do it. 
So you have this guy that has like a roast beef sandwich and there's a cooler and he makes it look like and he writes on it that it's a liver transplant for Allie. They think she's a child that they need to go deliver this at Adelbrook. That's how this whole thing gets played out. That roast beef, though, it was so raw it looked like it would moo. Like I, they they barely even doctored it to look like a liver. Well, I mean, it's it's a cold cut roast beef sandwich. What do you think it's gonna look like? I've never seen a roast beef sandwich like that. It it was like all wet and gooey. It's not like he even added barbecue sauce to it. No, then you're eating brisket. You're not eating roast beef. Roast beef is pink. It's got a little brown on the outside, and it's pink. Yeah, but it doesn't look like a liver. Again, we're 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 nitpicking here. It was a good scam. I loved the Edelbrook set, by the way. Did it not look fun as hell? Straight up Hallmark movie. It's awesome. I half so, expected Candace Cameron Bure to pop out from behind a gingerbread house. Yeah. So now this whole thing starts to blow up because Eddie now has had this moment with Allie. And Jake finds his way there and he confronts them about it and his bribe for the car gets exposed because he says to Eddie, because of you, I'm not going to get home by six o'clock. And Allie gets obsessed with this, why do you need to be home at six o'clock specifically? And he fesses up to it. And then she gets on the bus. She takes his bus ticket and gets on the bus and leaves him at Edelbrook with Eddie. Um, to your point, the punishment doesn't quite fit the crime. You being mad that he's going home for the car instead of you does not forgive you for kissing Eddie on live television. Because, like you said, nothing that... Jake has done up to this point has been as bad as what she did. Well, not just kissing Eddie, but they shared a room, which, okay, you know, they have the throwaway line of this is the only room left for the night. But when Jake finds them, Eddie is coming out of the bathroom wrapped in a towel. Which she then pulls off of him. So, again, a lot of Disney firsts in this movie. Right. I do appreciate that Jake's gut reaction is not to accuse Allie of anything. He goes after Eddie and he's like, stay away from her. Um, and granted, Allie didn't do anything other than kiss him, but it's like she turns on a dime and, you know, why do you need to be home by six? She's so aggressive about it, but you shouldn't have the upper hand in this situation. This looks really bad for you. Yeah. And it's just not fair that Jake's track record is being held against him. Agreed. Um, so... The really interesting thing that happens here, and it's only for a couple of moments, is that Eddie and Jake seem like they've almost made amends because now they're traveling back to the East Coast together. But it lasts maybe 30 seconds before Eddie says to him, you know what, I can't help you because that's not good for my image and I can't help my rival and kicks him out of the car and keeps going. I feel like that entire scene could have been cut because it doesn't do anything for the movie. I agree. I feel like it was sort of a cheap way of writing yourself out of a corner to keep Jake moving. Um, 
I mean, I get it. Eddie realizes that he's never going to be able to compete with Jake and Jake's Porsche now. Um, so I think that's it because Eddie's such an egomaniac. Jake expresses his whole plan as to how he's going to, you know, get home in time and get the Porsche and make amends with Allie and win her back. And I think that's it. Once Eddie adds all of that up in his head, he realizes he doesn't stand a chance. So he's like, why am I going to help you? Because to say this isn't good for my image is ridiculous. What does your image have to do with anything? The only one who you should care about what they think about you is Allie. And it's just kind of weird that after he's almost had somewhat of a character arc because he let his guard down with her. Now he cares what everybody thinks. Yeah. But what it does do is it sets up this Santa run scene where Jake ends up inadvertently in a town that's getting ready to do this like 10K or 5K or whatever in the hell it was that had like a thousand dollar prize and you have to be dressed as Santa and you run this race and the winner gets the prize. But you have to be wearing your hat and your beard. Yes, otherwise you are disqualified. And Jake actually, who had those things glued to him... They have since been ripped off. Right. So they give him a replacement beard, a replacement hat, and the mayor, as it turns out, pays him, pays for him to get entered in the race. It was a $10 fee. Jake Because wins. his house burnt down with everything inside of it, including his receipt for the race. Yes. Another good scam. So Jake wins the race and is going to use the money to... Buy his plane ticket home. And while he's on his way to the airport, the cab driver says, yeah, that was the mayor. And, you know, we were all hoping he would win because he wins every year because he takes the money and he buys turkeys for people who can't afford it. This is such an important character moment for Jake because Jake tells the cab driver, turn around. He takes him to the mayor's house. He hands the mayor the money. The mayor offers to put him up for the night, have dinner with us, and Jake just says, no, I'm good, thank you, I gotta try to get home. And then he has to go and have this conversation with Tracy, his sister, to get the ticket back. But this is like, this is the start of the character arc for Jake. It's a very important scene. It's great for the character arc, but I feel like here's the missed opportunity where you could have left Eddie in a little bit longer and had him thwart Jake's plan one more time as far as getting home instead everything sort of ties up in a bow because Eddie ends up getting himself arrested right because he's driving through the town and he pisses off the cops yeah um so he gets his comeuppance but I kind of wish that there was a misdirect where you think that they're going to end up being friends and and he double crosses Jake or something. And and this is where instead of just being like, no, this isn't good for my image, it would have been so much better writing if he was helping him and and something stopped him or or then he decided like does something diabolical to throw Jake off. Right. Um but I like the run. It's funny. I like that there's a little dog Santa. Um I you know, I think I think it's funny that most of the Santas they're just doing this because of tradition and they're in no position to actually run. Um, so, you know, it's going to come down to Jake and probably one or two other people. So as predictable as it is, it's a great twist when he's in the cab and he decides, you know, I have to do the right thing with this money. Right. Um, 
And I like that Tracy is the one to help him because this entire time she's sort of been your, you know, 90s sibling trope. I don't care if my brother comes home and they're taking digs at each other. Uh, But somehow she's got all this money and she offers to bail him out. Right. Saved up four years worth of birthday money to get him home. Um, And he does get home because he stows away with the dog in the cargo hold And he goes and steals the one horse open sleigh to bring to Allie's because earlier in the movie, I believe it's actually when she leaves him at Edelbrook, she says to him, I don't care if you showed up at my house with a one horse open sleigh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't leave with you. Um, But he does it. He steals it from a Christmas parade and he brings it to her. I like the move. I think the move is good. And... I think it's so important that he does sit in that driveway and say, let's just look at my family, and he gives up the car. Like, this is the character arc. It's a full character arc, and I think that it works. As predictable as it is, I think the whole thing works. Right, and it's that very fine line that they've walked this entire time, this great balancing act between Jake is a jerk, but he'll redeem himself. You have now stolen Santa's sleigh from the town's parade while Santa was in the porta potty, but he ends up doing the right thing, even though technically he's a thief. And then he makes amends with Carolyn, which I think was the right thing to do. Again, it's predictable, but... I mean, you weren't not going to do it, right? Right. I just wish they had done it a little differently because there was a whole thing. She took one of Jake's phone calls. You know, he was calling to update them. I'm on my way. I'm on my way. And yeah, yeah. she asked what size sweater he was. And, and then he asked the same thing. And I was like, mm, we could have done this a little differently. It, it was it's meant to be a cheesy moment but it could have been so much more heartfelt that just sort of takes me out of it but again you wouldn't get a full arc unless he did extend the olive branch to her too sure um you want to start talking about the cast here sure okay jonathan taylor thomas plays jake wilkinson i think we've talked about it enough at this point you know what? It's probably my favorite role that JTT has done um, because I like him. I like him as the character. I like the character a lot. I thought it was a lot of fun. Simba is always going to be my favorite role. However, uh, yeah, I, I think he was great. Um, he he had the snark that was required for this role, but and I guess that's it. Like he's so baby faced. That's why he gets away with this, too. Um, but I thought he did a great job, and I think he had some fun with it. Yeah. I, I think that shined through quite a bit. For sure. Jessica Beale is Allie. Um, I liked her in the movie. I go back and forth on how much I like Allie, though, which is it's not an indictment on Jessica Beale so much as it is that Allie's smart, yet she keeps going with Eddie. Allie kisses Eddie and then gets mad at Jake. Like, I want to I feel like I want to like Allie more than I actually do. Like for as many things that she does that make you want to like her, she does just as many things that don't make her nearly endearing enough. I agree because she's supposed to be the anchor in this relationship. She's the responsible one. She studies hard. She wants to push Jake to be better. But you cheated on him. There's no excuse for that. None. I think her overall attitude works because 
you need a certain person to be with a person like Jake. I think the attitude works. I think it's just how she conducted herself at times that was questionable. I would agree with that because, you know, she's alone in the car with him. She does have to hold her own. You know, she lays out the list of rules. If you do this, I'll slug you. If you do this, I'll slug you. I like Jessica Biel. However, I think this role could have been fulfilled by almost any popular 90s actress. I think Danielle Fischel could have done this, honestly. Mm. Uh, Adam Lavorgna plays Eddie. Eddie's just too much. That's the thing, right? Like, I... I know you need an antagonist in this movie. You need somebody that's going to be with Allie. I think he played the role the way they wanted it played. I think he played the character the way it was written on paper. I don't think, again, not an indictment of the actor. I just think that the character, the way that he's written is just too much in general. See, I disagree. I don't think that he was enough. I don't think that they did enough to separate his similarities from Jake. Because then it's like, it it almost makes it plausible, again, not that there's any excuse that Allie cheats on Jake because it's, it's almost the same guy. You know, clearly she's got a type, so then you start to see why she would be attracted to Eddie. And... He's definitely a foil to Jake, but they are too similar. And then they call it out in that brief scene where he starts driving him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gary Cole plays his dad, who's just credited as Mr. Wilkinson. I like Gary Cole and everything that he's in, so I like him here. I agree. Uh, Eve Gordon plays Carolyn. I think she could have been anybody. Nothing against the actress, but... The shame of it is that I feel like you could have done so much more with this character and she becomes so secondary. It's a crime. You know what they actually could have done that would have been 10 times more powerful? Instead of Tracy bailing him out, if Carolyn bailed him out and that's how they bonded and it would have made it even more of a gesture when he didn't walk in the door before six o'clock to get the Porsche because she helped him out. Right. Tracy, played by Lauren Maltby, who, again, fun character, could have been any 90s child actress, right? Agreed. Um, Officer Max was played by Sean O'Brien. Fun character, again, a secondary character, but I do think that he's fun. I do love the moments that he does have with Jake, um, and I think that he works. Officer Max is Definitely a scene stealer. For as much as we said Nolan was probably the funniest character, there's just something about that awkward delivery of Oh Marjorie that makes it the most memorable scene for me. And Nolan played by Andrew Lauer. I said it before I said it again, or I will say it again. To me, he's my favorite character in the movie. Other than maybe Jake, because Jake is the lead and you kind of do fall in love with Jake as the lead. Everything about Nolan to me is just funny and it hits every time. I agree. I think what makes him so funny is that he has no idea how funny he is. And he's not supposed to, but there's just something about the way he pulls off this clueless character and and the delivery of Mrs. Claus lets somebody else down her chimney. I mean, come on. All right. Final thoughts? Final thoughts. Uh, 
this movie was such a pleasant surprise and I wish I had given it a chance earlier. Um, you know, I definitely appreciate the jokes for what they were now, but I would have liked to see how they aged. Like, I think I would have found them funny when I was a tween and they still certainly hold, but I wish I had seen it when I was younger, just so I had gotten maybe caught up in Jake and Allie's relationship a little bit more, believed them a little bit more, rooted for them a little bit more instead of me looking at this now and tearing Allie down because she two timed him. Um, but yeah, just such a pleasant surprise. And I would put this in regular rotation as far as Christmas movies go. So would I. I like that they took scams and turned them into a character arc. Um, here's the thing. I think at times the movie's very well written. I think it's well paced. I think the character has a very good character arc. The movie is so 90s that in theory it's probably an awful movie. Like this like honestly this movie is probably terrible, but I liked it a lot. <laughs> so um I mean that I guess that's kind of my whole thing, right? It's like I, I do think that you have to be a person of a certain age to like this movie because I think a lot of the pop culture references, the fashion, the jokes, if you show it to a 12-year-old now, they probably won't find it funny and they're never going to understand why he just doesn't have a cell phone and a credit card and, you exactly. know, at this crypto to get him home or whatever nonsense. <laughs> NFTs to get him home. Yeah, but... That doesn't change the fact that I think the movie is a lot of fun. And if you just want to see a goofy Christmas movie, look no further. It was a pleasant surprise for me. I agree. This movie is probably good, not great. But regardless, I enjoyed it. I think there is a rewatchability factor. And that's probably because I grew up in a certain generation. And I appreciate certain things that are going to be lost now. Um, but I, I would still watch it once a year. Yeah. We're interested in knowing what you have to say about I'll be home for Christmas. You can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio. You can also email us monorealradio at gmail.com. News of the week is coming up, but first a quick break. If you're thinking of booking a trip to a Disney destination, you have to contact Jackie Zalezi from Magical Vacation Planner. My husband and I recently celebrated our 10-year wedding anniversary and wanted to go on a trip, just the two of us. Jackie suggested Disneyland, knowing we'd never been and I had been dreaming of going. I am so thankful for her suggestion, as it was the most magical way to celebrate. Jackie got us a fantastic deal, but still constantly checked for discounts to make sure we were guaranteed the lowest price. Having recently visited Disneyland, she was a great source for helpful information and had suggestions for everything, including meals, Max Pass, even places to visit in Los Angeles on our non-park day. Upon arrival at our hotel, we experienced the easiest check-in because Jackie had taken care of everything. Throughout our trip, Jackie was in constant contact, making sure we had everything we needed and answering any questions we had. Our vacation was Perfect. All thanks to Jackie Zalezi from Magical Vacation Planner. So if you would like completely free assistance, that's free. Unlike Genie Plus, get in touch with me through any of our social media outlets at Monoreal Radio on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. 
or you can contact me directly at j.zalezzi, that's Z as in zebra, O-L-E-Z-Z-I, at magicalvacationplanner.com. News this week is brought to you by Karma and Kismet Designs. If you are looking for branding, print, and graphic designer media kits, perhaps you are hosting an event, you need save the dates, or thank you cards or table numbers, or maybe you're just looking for that little bit of Disney in your home decor, Kelly has everything you're looking for. Plus, listeners of the show get a 10% discount with the code MONOREAL10 at checkout. Be sure to see everything she has to offer at karmaandkismetdesigns.com. That's karma, the letter N, kismetdesigns.com. As we draw to the end of 2021 in the coming weeks, so goes the Disney Magical Express. And we were waiting to see what would replace it. We know that we have supposedly a train that will run to Disney Springs, but in this post-pandemic world, projects that were delayed are still not up and running just yet. But we did get news that the Transportation Management Services Company is going to be launching the Sunshine Flyer from Orlando International Airport starting on February 1st. This is going to be the replacement for Disney's Magical Express service. Um, $17 per adult, $12.50 per kid each way. I hesitate to call it a replacement because we are, yet again, replacing something that was free with a paid service uh but for me this was an early christmas present as a vacation planner because thank goodness magical vacation planner also has a similar service where we're able to book our guests and provide transportation from the airport um but from personal experience you and i have not wanted to wait on that magical express line and you and i have spent 70 dollars on a cab to take us from the airport to to the hotel. Um, and, you know, that's not something I want to recommend to people because people would freak out over the cost. Now, if you're a family of four, those fares are going to add up really quickly. And at that point, it's, okay, well, a $70 cab versus four tickets, tomato, tomato at that point. Yeah. Uh, but I'm at least happy there is some sort of alternative. Well, I guess this becomes the question then, right? Like for almost the same money, because let's say that it were just you and I, you would be paying roughly twice the cost if you were doing it by way of taxi cab for two people. Right. Right. Let's call it $68 round trip for both of us on the motor coach versus $70 each way by taxi cab. You can sit there and say, okay, it's worth it on the motor coach to spend half the money. But if you are that family of four, is the value in that or is the value in the cab? Because while the cab is expensive, we have used the cab twice out of our last three Disney trips, and there is something to be said for, you pay the 70 bucks, okay, you take it on the chin, you don't really want to pay it, but you are at your hotel in 20 minutes. Well, it's Disney, right? Half the time, as soon as you hit the ground, it's like, oh, whatever, in for a penny, in for a pound. But you just said it. It's not just the value. It is the time. Because 
even though we'd be on the motor coach at half the cost, what they really need to release is where these motor coaches are stopping. Am I going to be at five hotels before I get to mine? Does this turn into a 45 minute ride? Because we don't know what this fleet looks like yet. We don't know if it's going to service, you know, it might be by area. Right. It could be a, a, like an area hotel, like you're in an Epcot area hotel. Like they've showed us pictures of what the buses look like, but are there 40 buses or are there 10 buses? Exactly. You now, there's just a lot of questions that are unanswered. But I mean, at least we know that something is coming and something is coming soon. So if you're traveling in January, like Jeff Probst, I got nothing for you. But if you're traveling after that, you at least will have another option, a means of getting to the park. And maybe this helps to bring the cab fare down. Maybe they do want a little bit of competition because that's it. The cab fares were going to be what they were because Magical Express was free. They can set whatever price point they want. This is also not Mirrors. Mirrors fell behind in what they were supposed to be doing. Exactly. So if this is the competition now, maybe the taxis come down a little bit. It's possible. It's definitely possible. We're interested in hearing from you, our friend, Are you excited about this new mode of transportation or were you perhaps thinking of switching to a rental car or a taxi cab? You can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio or you can email us monorealradio at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for joining us this and every week on Monoreal Radio. If you celebrate the holiday, Merry Christmas. Yes, very Merry Christmas to all of our listeners and a very happy new year. We have some very exciting things coming up in the new year. Yep. Uh, but this is not our last show of the year. We are going to do a year in review episode. And we want to hear from you. Uh, you know, usually Sean and I do a recap of all the new movies that we saw over the year. Last year was a little bit tough because we didn't see a lot in theaters. But this year we did. We were back in theaters for... Several movies, so we're going to give not a full review on all of them, but a little bit more in-depth than our monoreal in a minute. If you follow us on social media, we release our our initial reactions, so we'll delve a little deeper than that. Uh, But we want to know what you saw this year. So if you want to send us a piece of audio, you can do that at monorealradio at gmail.com. You can just record your thoughts on what some of your favorite movies were. Or if you don't want to record anything, you can email it to us and we will read it on next week's show. Yeah, we're very excited for next week's show for our year in review. It's always a good time. Hey, thank you guys again for joining us. We just told you the email address. You, of course, know we're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Monoreal Radio. Make sure to like, subscribe, and rate us on Verbal or your podcast platform of choice. And for links to Everything, the social media, the email, and everywhere else you can find the podcast, it is online at monorealradio.com. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.